You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by ProGold. Margaritas. I was going to say that, damn it. <laughs> and ProGold again. Um, we're going to start tonight's episode off with a rant. Imagine that. Instead of waiting until like three quarters of the way in when Matt's had like two drinks, we're going to go ahead and start the For rant. the record, I never have two drinks. I get that drunk off one drink. Well, oh! He's had half a margarita now, and I've had almost a full one. <laughs> almost a full I mean, there's like, anyway. Let's, there's let's, stuff in there. We got a lot to talk about. And okay. The in- same amount of time as usual to cover it, which is integrated never Integrated headsets. I like them a lot. On road bikes. On um, road bikes, they work great. I've never had an issue on any of my bicycles. But every time I have a chunky one on one of my mountain bikes, you're always like, hey, your headset's fucked up again. Your headset's <laughs> well, crunchy again. The, crunchy again. The thing for you is your headset is a... You run an FSA spec headset. Yes. And your bearings die all the time. Constantly. And I have chunky headset bearings more often than I have smooth headset bearings. You know what else is really annoying about the FSA one and a half lower bearing is you can't find them anywhere. They're impossible to find. Like I have to order them directly through Niner. I've ordered them through Niner before. There's, never, there's never a special part them. number for them. You I've have to find them. them under. It's really, it's not really that hard. It just takes a lot of I've work. I've seen one and a half bearings from FSA, but they're like straight bearings. They're not beveled like they're not no i've, I've ordered it's not an angular singles. contact bearing i've, I've ordered singles from <clears throat> okay well maybe they exist i've had a hard time but yeah that's, a, that's, that's part of it too well, it's like, well i was gonna say i've never had any issues with my so currently i have a i hate to even say this because it's not really a standard i run a different standard on my road bike uh it's a one and one eighth upper one and a quarter lower on the cat tens um so keep that in mind where do you find those bearings um, I've actually thought about that a lot and I never follow through with it. I need to, I want to order like two of those bearings. Just, I've got the same bike. Right. And I've got the same one and a quarter bearing. And I thought about it when I looked and at the spec sheet. And you probably won't have a problem with it yeah. for a long well, time. Yeah, but the thing is, is. Well, I ride trails. Well, so. no. Yeah. Number one, that's <laughs> stupid. Number two, I've ridden the same bearing since August of 2010. Lifetime warranty, original owner. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> they don't warranty bearings. That's like asking them to warranty a bottom bearing. No, I'm talking about my bike snapping in half on oh. on the trail. Well, your bike's no, not no, gonna no. Snap it's not going to make you. You just never mind. We're not. No one. Okay. You know what? It's like it's like riding single speed. It's like it's like no one actually cares if you ride single speed. Just like no one actually cares that you have the mindset to take your road bike or cross bike out onto X trails. It's just fun. It's fun to me, and it's, it's just fun to know that you can. Not that it's the smart thing to do. Um. Anyways, let's I see. mean, it's not really stupid either. It's just uncomfortable. It's stupid because it's uncomfortable and kind of slow in a lot of places. And I agree. And it's sad that our trails are so untechnical because people chop out all the routes and make stupid ride arounds around anything that's like slightly difficult that you may have to dismount if you're fat and slow that you can actually ride your road bike and on the trail. Really want some of those bagels. Because if you you wouldn't want to do. I would love to see someone that's not a professional trials rider. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That doesn't have 
a nearly unlimited amount of resources ride their road bike on a trail that's like Silmo or yeah, of course something legit like Washington. Um, but we're getting off. We're getting off. What I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, let's go back I've, to the headset. I've bearings. never had issues with my Campy bearings. So I've been running Campy bearings for for a full year on my car single speed, and I've never had any issues with them. Um, and I've been running the Campy bearings on the car gear bike for the last few months. No issues with those either. So. But why don't we compare the mileage that I put on my like on my hardtail versus how many miles do you have on your single speed? Or how many miles Kenny has on his bike? Let me just talk about why I hate them. Well, no. We'll answer that question first. I have more miles on the single speed than you have before you need to swap bearings. Okay. Like, I've never changed my bearings, and my bearings don't need to be changed. And you've changed your bearings multiple times probably at least once in that time period you've changed your bearings and you need to change them again. No, they're okay right now because I just changed them before uh, Warrior Creek. Okay, but you, you see what I'm saying, right? Like, even if you've put in more miles than me, you have not put in more chunky free miles than me. <laughs> but the one bike that had, the mountain bike that has um, non-integrated bearings, well, it's a Chris King headset. Of course, it never had any issues because it's a Chris King, and they're fucking invisible. Like In invisible. Invisible. <laughs> Listen to the buzz. So you can get a coffee press part from us. You need a coffee tamper that says Chris King. Yeah. So that headset, and I don't think it's because it's a Chris King. I think it's because it's a high quality, not not a drop. Damn it! It's a Chris King. I think because their parts are perfect, they never have problems. Because it is a high quality. I've heard they've never warranted a part. <laughs> they probably have. And that's it. actually true. <laughs> you know, read um, it like a tea leaf, bro. You know, you never have to warranty a part if you never accept warranties. So if you're a company and you want to have a perfect rating, just never, never okay the warranty process on a part, and then you've got a squeaky clean record. There you go. But I'm saying I've never had a problem with that headset ever. And I have a history of making head any type of mountain bike headsets that are not pressing. And when I I know, like my first mountain bike had a Cane Creek one ten. And that headset went as it was from one bike to another. I mean that that lasted through one frame that broke and no, that, bike, that that lasted through you used that one headset in three frames. I did, because it went to the, the jet. Jet, and then you use it in it was the single speed. Yeah, it was, in the, bike. it was in the Air 9, the Scandium Air 9, then the Jet, and then the 1.9. How many of those bikes, how many Niners have you broken? Like 17? Um, Four? The Scandium one. Well, I mean, I would call a recall bike broken. They did recall the Jet, but mine never broke. But it was um, broken. I mean, that's broken. Okay, so that one got recalled. Um, you broke the geared one. You broke the single speed. No, the single speed didn't break. I broke the jet. So four. You've broken four. Yeah. All right. I want to talk specifically about why I dislike. So people, there's more concrete other than us just bitching about bearings. So I don't like integrated bearings for a couple of reasons. One is it leaves it up to the frame manufacturer to make like the height tolerances correct. So what can happen is you buy, you buy this really nice. Well, explain the height. 
So it's how deep the bearing sits inside the frame. So when you buy this nice Cancreek 110 fully integrated headset and you put it in your new Niner, it's going to sit at a little bit different height depending on what manufacturer it is. And what that's going to mean is that seal is not going to touch up against the frame the way that it might be designed for. They do make shims to change it out, of course, but it just might not be right. And then what happens when you have um, the opposite problem of I have no shims in there and there's space. So you're you talking can't, about... You can't lower it down any further than that. Right. So you're saying the distance from the bottom of the bearing seat to the top of the frame where the dust cover should seal. Yes. You're leaving that up to the frame manufacturer to work with the headset manufacturer's yes. parts rather than bringing that all under one roof yes. where you can really dial those tolerances down because you're staying in the family. You're saying this is a concrete cup, this is a concrete bearing, this is a concrete, uh, what would that be, uh, inner race or upper race, this is a concrete dust shield. Here's a shim if you ever need it, but you probably won't. Exactly. And so that's one reason why I dislike them. The other reason I dislike them is if you do accidentally get a customer who never brings their bike in after you first build it, your headset gets loose over time, which is normal, and they ride the crap out of it for a thousand miles, super loose, and it's clunking around, it's going to damage the frame and not just a headset cup. So I don't like that. Um, and it also limits your choices on bearings and headsets because not everybody makes integrated stuff. I mean, most people do, but it's just a little nitpick. So yeah, I mean that's kind of the the like the least of your worries is like oh I can't get my favorite color headset yeah. now. But you can get Chris Kane, you can get Kane Creek, you can get FSAs. So another reason, a con <laughs> a concrete reason, I really like a regular traditional headset. I had on my original Niner, it was a zero stack forty four upper, zero stack fifty six lower press in cups, pretty normal. And that Cane Creek 110 headset lasted 6,000 miles. And it was perfect when I took it off. The bearings, yeah, those were, things are, I mean, they're... the bearings were perfect. I did take it apart every once in a while, cleaned everything up, put more grease on it for water tightness and all that stuff, put it back together. It was good. I never ran the thing stupid loose or anything like that. But the fact of the matter is that headset in that style worked for someone who put 6,000 miles on a mountain bike. And like, that's, really good. Every time I took it out, I thought for sure one of these bearings is going to be like a little bad. And I'm not talking about like that. It, it was absolutely perfect when I took it out, like yeah. butter smooth, 100% perfect. That's so, really how that the Chris King has been inside the, the Jet 9. Yeah. Me. And that's all good. But I just like press in. I like press in headsets, not trying to be old and cranky. It's just that unfortunately, if the newer standard worked better, I'd be all for it. Like for example, 12 mil rear through axles are awesome. Yeah. It's a new standard. And yes, it might mean you need a hub or a wheel set or whatever. The fact of the matter is that sucker works and there's a reason why it exists. Like it just, it is there because it is better. Just like I like that there's 31.8 handlebars and not little 25 mil ones anymore. Like the, that kind of stuff to me makes sense. It's stronger, it's lighter, whatever. But well, the integrated a difference between an innovation that is striving for better riding quality and an innovation that is for cutting costs. And yeah. I think that's what we're you're you're changing topics there. Yeah. Saying the headset thing is definitely for cutting costs. It is a total cost cutting thing. When when you're a when you're a frame part manufacturer, so you're going to make frame parts because let's face it, there is someone that is making headsets or uh, steer, what was it, head tubes, 
sorry, Hedges. Yes. Just like um, Andrea is getting a bike from Cisco Cycles right now, and it's going to have a 44 millimeter Hedges. Yeah, I went to the park and it's going to have a press fit 30 bottom bracket, and it's going to have sliding 12 millimeter dropout. And the reality is, Cisco is purchasing those parts from Paragon Machine Works because Paragon is the shit when it comes to making that stuff. Their job is to take titanium and make it to very close to the tolerance. Then Cisco uses it. And so where are you going with you? This is like a really, really long story. No. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm making the point of like, there's people that build frames. They buy parts. And then those things are checked after, like you build, you buy a part, like a head tube, and it is within spec. And it's actually undersized. Everything, a 44 millimeter head tube from Paragon, you could not put a headset into. And then you weld it onto the bike, and then they ream it with the 44 millimeter chaser. And now you can put a headset in. Okay. So for everyone out there, they have to do that final reaming post welding because okay. the tubing is going to deform slightly and you need to yeah. make it that size. Yep. What Where I was going with all that is explaining that everyone has to do that, whether it's Niner, whether it's you know, someone as big as Niner or someone as big as Cannondale or Trek or someone as small as Cisco out of Tennessee, they're all going to have to ream that post heat, yep. right? The difference is it doesn't cost Niner any more to get the tooling to do reaming to hold bearings or to hold 44 millimeter cups. So for Niner, it means when they build complete bikes, they don't have to buy headsets. They just have to buy bearings. That's yeah, where of I course. Was going. Well, yeah, and if you look at when they switched over from press-in headsets on everything to integrated headsets on everything, it's about the time they really started to get into the complete bike market. And let's look at bikes. Who is running a integrated headset? No one that's a frame builder is offering that. If you were to look at the, uh, if you went that? to, I bet at the handmade bike show, there's. Hardly an integrated headset in the house. Yeah, but you would have to specifically ask for it. Well, everything is going to be an oversized 44 millimeter head tube. I mean, that's just what's available. That's just what's easy. That's what's actually out there. And, and it's, it, it works. It works better. For, well, the frame, the long, the, the short of it is that frame manufacturers do it for cost reasons in a complete bike situation. When they're supplying the headset, it makes sense to make it integrated. Because it's cheaper. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, because ni Niner, Niner the gets the little cap. Basically, yeah. Niner, the only thing that Niner is not making, or at least getting uh, like OEM style, are the bearings themselves. So the little cap cover, the dust shield stuff, the races, all that stuff, they get to quote make it Niner, just like a Niner stem. You know, that's why they want to make a Niner stem. So they, they really don't make a Niner stem because I think it's any better. That RDO, make, I, I wonder if that RDO stem like carries over to any other brand because that's that's actually a pretty nice stem. What they do is FSA OS 99. I mean, that's a very nice, high-quality aluminum stem that's going to be, I mean, it's going to work well and you're not going to have any issues with it. The same way that Niner's in the component building business and Trek's in the component building business and Cannondale's in the component building business is because they can make bikes cheaper with all their stuff on it. I mean, that's why it exists. Right. They're going to argue otherwise. They're going to say, oh, we made we made this stem because our stem is 400% better than everyone else's stem. Well, you it's at, a freaking stem. Well, like, when you look at until the, you're talking about baller status stuff, well, a $50 stem is yeah. a $50 stem is a $50 stem. Like, 
Come on. I hate to say it, but I don't like a lot of the really baller status stuff. Moot stems, I don't like them. That's not baller status. That's silly. I know. That's, okay, a, okay. that's a different we thing. Got a that's a whole different thing. You got a caller from the 901. What up? Answer the phone. Answer the phone. Hello? Hello? Who's this? Uh, my name is Bill. Hi, Bill. I had a question. I, I was just trying to get into mountain biking and stuff, and... Uh, my buddy was telling me that I should get a Trek Remedy or something like that. I I ain't rode much mountain bike. Uh, I used to have a KHS. I don't know if you remember those. I don't think they make them anymore. I ain't rode in a while, but I ain't trying to spend. But I don't know how that Trek Remedy was. It's a good bike. Well, which one? Uh, is it used? Is it a brand new one? You probably don't need a brand new Remedy. A 27 or something? A 27 or 27? 27.5. So my answer, here's here's a really good answer for that. Um, if you go to, if you're new to mountain biking, what I would recommend is, um, Kenny works at Outdoors, but Outdoors doesn't currently have any 27.5 demo bikes. If you go to the Bikes Plus location in Germantown, you can go see Karen. And Karen has hardtails and full suspension 27.5 mountain bikes from Giant that you can demo. And I think the best thing to do would be to go to ride some bikes before you buy them. Because you'll never know what you like unless you ride some stuff. After you've ridden those 27.5s, go see Kenny and ride some 29ers. And after you've done that, maybe step back, look at your budget, reevaluate, and buy the most bicycle you can afford for your budget that's what i would recommend and i don't i don't think that a remedy uh, i'm not 100 percent familiar with their lineup but i'm pretty sure that it goes super fly fuel remedy and then it goes session maybe the remedy is a relatively long travel for around here bike right and it's not a bad bike it's just know what you're getting into it it's a longer it's like between 120 and 140 i don't remember off the you top of my head but you so don't need that my advice to you would be don't buy a bike because it looks cool. Because that's why right. look I like I like the way I like the way it looks, but you said not to worry about that because I mean it kind of makes a little sense, you know. Uh, you know, you, you're riding to ride, not to look cool going down the street. Yeah. Well, I mean, you gotta look cool too, but you know, any nice bike's gonna look cool. You know, and it's it's, it's like a lot of things. Imagine you were buying a new truck, and let's say you did a lot of construction. Well, that two-door short bed pickup truck is the best-looking truck on the market. Like, you get a regular cab, short bed pickup truck, it looks great. But the problem is, you need to carry a backseat full of coworkers, and you also need to carry a bed full of lumber with the tailgate closed. So you have to get the four-door, eight-foot bed truck, right? I mean... All right. Thanks, man. <laughs> I mean... I guess he doesn't I, own a I like truck. Your, I like your analogy, man. The only thing I, I was really... Is, you have to get the right tool for the job, and the remedy is probably not the right tool for the job within a five- or six-hour drive of Memphis, even. Right. Um, yeah. Just, All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, All no right. problem. All right. Have... <laughs> Good night. That anyway. was great. So yeah, Memphis caller asking about uh, a bike. 
So oh, what, the yeah. remedy is probably it's, that's kind of like bringing. A Do you know how light the remedy is? Am I even lying? Oh my god. Oh, that's an inside joke. I was going to say, is that that a joke? Because somebody actually, I don't know if it was the same guy, somebody was shopping between a jet and a Remedy. And I'm like, well, you really need to ride both. I'm not not saying that Trek's a bad bike or the Remedy's a bad bike or don't buy something at one of our other bike shops. That's not what I'm saying. It's like, hey, because it's really funny when you start asking someone why they're buying a bike. Sometimes they won't admit to it at first, just like he didn't really admit to it. And it's like, why are you buying that bike? What about it? You're like, oh, well, you know, I, th- I think it's going to be the right bike. Well, why? What, what is it about the bike? Is it the suspension geometry? Is it like the head tube angle? Is it the components? Is, well, it looks really cool. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, the Remedy does look cool. I mean, I guess, but... I don't even know what the Remedy is. Anyway, it's just most people, you'd be really surprised how many people buy a bike because because of how it how they perceive it looks i mean and i understand that you know looks looks are important everyone wants to ride something that that looks expensive or looks nice i mean if you go see if you go see kenny and you get him to help you build up a bike or pick out a bike um you know your bike's gonna look cool because kenny's got pretty he's got pretty good taste in bikes i mean it's not as good as mine but (laughs) um you know it's pretty good but i mean the fact of the matter is if you buy a baller bike and it has baller parts on it. Like people that know are in the know are going to know that it's baller. Yeah. You don't. I, do you want to impress the guy that has never ridden before? It's like who cares? That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Stop doing that. You look like a blind hooker. <laughs> blind hooker with no teeth looking for a job. <laughs> Working under a bridge. <laughs> Can we go back to no? Nah, don't do that. Can we go back to the sand at the tube? Can we go back to ranting? Are we done ranting about headsets? I was just going to clarify here that the uh, remedy is a very enduro trademark bike. Southern um, forty millimeter travel. Specialized on the enduro trademark. Can we get sued for that? I hope so. <laughs> I'll, I have a feeling we might get sued I'll for something. Roubaix. This show is brought to you by Roubaix. I would tell Mike Finger to eat the corn out of my shit. Well, I mean, if if we say enduro, but then we say like, you know, I want to jack want, off Mike Senior, then is it like okay then? I want a I Roubaix enduro bike. I'm gonna make an enduro mountain bike and call it a Roubaix. For the all day enduro. For the all day enduro. For the college. I'm gonna enduro. put I'm gonna put little plastic inserts in it in it and call them. Hurt. Well, okay, back to the <laughs> no, you would put little like rock inserts in the frame and call them hurts instead of dirt. <laughs> um, uh, or like little plastic pieces on the saddle, like that fin saddle. Oh my god. Uh, anyway, looking at this bike, it has a Fox shock that has like the piggyback reservoir on top, like the extra blow off room, you know. Oh, okay. And it has uh, like a, I think this is a pike, is that right? No, it's a revelation for, um, and just way more bike than you would ever need in Memphis. I mean, the thing is, so, I'm not saying it's a bad bike. Like if, yeah, if, yeah, you, cool. if you lived in a place where we, you need a six inch travel or whatever it is, 27 and a half bike. Let like, me, let me give cool. another analogy. So dude out there, um, I missed your name, but Oh yeah, Bill. Um, imagine on your commute to work every day that you had to drive down a gravel road for five miles. That's just part of your commute is five miles of gravel. 
And it's, yeah, I mean, it's pretty nice gravel. It's maintained, but it's still a gravel road. And you're like, oh, I'm going to drive on something that's not asphalt. So I'm going to go out and buy a Jeep with a 12-inch lift kit and monster truck tires and a gigantic engine. Like those things, that looks really cool. Yeah, that Jeep is pretty freaking cool. It's going to be a neat machine. That's a neat Jeep. It's going to look really cool, and it's going to be highly capable, probably. But... You don't really need that Jeep to go down that gravel road for five miles every way, every day to and from your, your yeah. work. M- much in the same way that, hey, I live on a country road, and I'm going to go buy a Ford Raptor pickup truck, like that like 500 horsepower like <laughs> Baja truck or whatever. Hey, those things look cool. They're badass. They're highly capable. But do you need that to drive down a gravel road? Probably, probably not. Here's a better answer for you, um, Mike, right? Bill. Bill. Um, I talked to Mike earlier today about a physicist. Anyway, um, if you look at something like a Fuel EX29, you're going to have a slightly larger wheel, which the larger wheel will have, uh, it, it'll deal with the bumps better than the slightly smaller 27.5 or 650B wheel is going to um, handle the bumps. And you're going to find uh, apples to apples, similar price points on all those on all the Fuel EX29s and all the Remedies, um, you'll probably be able to touch the same price point on the bike everywhere. You're still going to have a bike that's pretty burly, pretty tough. It's going to take the big hits. It's going to take you as a new rider really thrashing the shit out of it. And the cool part is um, you're going to lose about an inch of travel front and rear. So this is only 120 millimeters of travel. So you, you still have six inches of travel, which is a whole fucking bunch of travel for Memphis. That is much travel. But you have a bike that's going to be very comfortable, very capable. You're not going to feel like you're overpowering the bike. You're not going to feel like you have to be delicate with the bike. And you're still going to have a bike that looks cool, that rides cool, that if you want to, like, cram it into some shit, you're more than welcome to. Like, And if you can wait around until there's a Trek demo day. You can actually ride those bikes yeah. before you buy them. They may have a remedy there. I don't know. I don't remember if they bring the longer travel stuff with them, but so yeah. The other thing is, ride go and ride a ten mile trail on it. Because if I get on a Santa Cruz Driver V10 in the parking lot, it's gonna feel really cool. And you like run it on and off the curb. I'd be like, like, oh my god, this thing is awesome. This thing looks baller. It's got ten inches of travel. I can like run into curbs and not even feel it. But if you actually rode a cross country trail on that, you would be cursing yourself. Yep. So. Yeah. So. We should uh, we should go ahead and move on since we just have half an hour. So I know what I want to talk about if it's cool. The wheels. I want to talk about carbon wheels. Yeah, we're gonna revisit carbon wheels. That was actually on the top of my list. Okay. And then we'll get to Matt. Um, so this is just like an I. bike thing. This is an I told you so thing. So us as a group collectively agreed that wheels such as the original NV tubeless rode fairly harsh in at least the 32-hole configuration, which is what most people are buying. So what most people think of when they think of the cross-country Envy, they ride pretty harsh. Right. We All three of us agreed with that. And it's All not, three of us even rode them thinking these are going to be the best wheels ever, and then we we're kind of like, maybe these aren't the best wheels ever. Yes. Kind of like... I, I went into it better. thinking that they're awesome. They're $2,600. They're strong. They're light. And they're supposed to be ultra stiff in every single way. The fact is, they are ultra stiff, like in every single way. Um, and here's the thing: we got some backlash from people 
on the show and on MTBR and all kinds of stuff saying that we're stupid, basically. Like, the vertical compliance is 0.00097 of an inch, and no human being could ever feel that, and et cetera, and blah, blah, blah. And most of these people have never ridden this stuff back-to-back on the same bike, is the fact of the matter. And all three of us have. So, and we all had the same conclusion. So here's the deal. This is what I think is really, really funny. We felt it, not because it, we didn't want to just stir shit up, and it's not because we disliked Envy Wheels. We wanted to love Envy Wheels. Everything is to love about them. They look awesome. They're light, whatever. And I had a pretty good investment into my set of Envy Wheels at the time. Yeah. I mean, sure, I ended up selling them because I felt like I had a, not necessarily a gold mine, but like I was sitting on an investment that I didn't feel like I was getting the, I had spent money and I felt like I could get my money back and I wasn't getting my money out of that investment. So I think a lot of people were also blinded by that same fact. The people that did actually own Envy's at the time were like, we hate you because you're dissing on my product that cost $2,600. And they were blinded by that. They're like, oh, these have to be awesome, right? And or, I, want, I want to be really, really clear that I'm not busting on Envy because on. of their product. This is another big thing. If you, let's just say that, because we're going to get to expendable income later. Let's say that someone has, 40k a year, right? They could throw up a hog's ass and wouldn't miss it. Okay, so <laughs> that sounds like something your dad would say. It is something my dad would say. So if your buddy said mountain biking is fun, and you bought a two thousand dollar Trek Remedy twenty nine or a Trek Fuel twenty nine, right? Fuel right. EX twenty nine. Sure. You had a turd. You had this thirty five pound bike, and then you bought a Jet 9 Carbon with XTR 2x10 and Envy wheels, you would suddenly think that that is the best bike in the world. The best bike in the world. Relative to your last bike, it is awesome. Okay, so where are you going with this? What I'm saying is a lot of these people might think that those wheels are great when really the sum of the entire system in comparison with everything they've had before of course. is fucking awesome. So like... Us as a group, we have all collectively ridden wheel sets that weigh between 13 and 1500 grams. So we know what a light aluminum traditional wheel set rides like and feels like and what having super low inertia feels like and all that, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not coming from the 2000 gram wheel set to an Envy set. Right. Because if you did that, yeah, you'd probably be shocked, right? You'd love it. It's and really especially, good. let's just say you lost five or six or seven pounds out of your whole bike. And two or three pounds of that was even in wheels or rotational weight alone. You would think that your bike was like on LSD and yeah. your penis is going to explode with awesomeness. Like you just be like, blah, 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 this is awesome. That's really that's a really specific uh, feeling. But <laughs> what I want to be really, I get that like once a week. I want to make sure that everybody knows that I'm not singling out Envy. I'm not busting on Envy. Their wheels are good. They do the, make they make a good product. It's a good product. It's a reliable product. Light. It's a very good looking product, which it's I know wrong. we said that shouldn't matter, but you can't sell a twenty six hundred dollar ugly ass yeah. wheel. So all that is going for them, okay? All I'm saying is one quality of the wheel, which is to me ride quality, you can define that however you want. But what it feels like over the long term compared to some other wheel sets, I thought it rode harsh. That's all we were saying. All right. And people get all bent out of shape and all that bullshit. And I've so, been able to come back with a lot of more, a lot more data about that. Well, basically everyone's just like, oh, it's in tire pressure and you're an idiot, right? So I'm fine with that. If you want to call us idiots, that's fine. The fact of the matter is, as we talked about before, most of these people do not have back-to-back evidence riding 
right. really really lightweight wheels on the same exact bike going to Envy's, right? And right. We, and we do same trail, same bike. Exactly. Same we all did. We did it, and somehow, out of some miracle, we all um, <laughs> oh, we have a we have a cat problem. Apparently. Uh, anyway, so with all that said, we're not busting on Envy. But what I think is really really funny is over the past few months. We've seen a couple different manufacturers come out of the woodwork and say, oh, hey, uh, it's come to our attention that some carbon wheels ride really harsh vertically. And yeah. one of those manufacturers is Stans. And, and you, Envy. And Envy. So you go on Stans website right now. They have these video and half the video is talking about ride comfort and vertical compliance in a carbon wheel. So you can all watch that video and suck my dick because... <laughs> We are because we are not stupid. Okay, so I want to go back to that and discuss what I wanted to. Let's talk about back to back to back to back to back to back testing, right? So I have a specialized car aluminum frame, and I have a Riva fork. And I've ridden the following wheel combinations with that. I've ridden, I originally built the bike with crest rim, or I'm sorry, uh, stands crest front, stands arch rear. The next wheel set that I rode on that bicycle was the Envy All Mountain 29 inch rim, 28 spoke count wheels. Yes. The next wheels that I rode on that bike were a set of Industry 9 hubs laced to 32-hole stands crest rims. The next wheels that I rode on that bike was a pair of stands Roval 32-hole rims laced the DT Swiss 240 hubs rebranded as Specialized hubs. The next wheel set I rode on that bike was an I-9 Torch wheel set, 24 hole, Torch 24 hole, 29 wheels. And that covers all of it. Yeah. So, so that's a huge range of wheels that you've ridden on that same exact bike. And I can tell you this. I'll bet you could tell a difference between most of them. I can tell you the difference from wheel to wheel to wheel between all of them. And just like Kenny said, you can suck my dick. I have ridden the same tires at the same pressure on all of those wheels. Same tires, literally same rubber on the different wheel pumped up to the same pressure using the same pump. Well, what they're going to tell you is, oh, it's a different volume because they're different. I understand that. I understand that. So on the stance wheels, or on the Indy wheels, is the is where I started to learn how low my pressure could go. How low can you run before your rim hits occasionally? And on the on the Indy wheels, where there's a very high, I guess you call it like walk rate, like you can like ram the shit out of them and they're not going to like dent and break. Yeah. I was, it was kind of like, you know, if you don't bottom out your suspension and every, in every cross country lap, you're not using it at all. If you don't hit your rim, every cross country lap, you're not using it at all. And I was running like that pressure plus a tiny bit, like a half a PSI. 
And that's what I started using as my PSI in all my wheels. And I found that I was still doing okay in all of my wheels. Okay. And so, so tell us about all these wheels and how they all fell. So the most comfortable wheel is the Crest Crest front and rear. Which makes sense because they're the, the noodliest. They're the noodliest wheels. They're single wall, like just race wheels that are aluminum. Right. Okay, cool. The next wheel set in ride quality is going to be the Rovals. I really like the Roval wheels a lot. The way that they ride is very comfortable. The way that they ride is very predictable. They feel just a little less vague than a Crest rim. All the great things of a Crest is just, and there's no real way to describe this on a radio show because I'm doing these things, but when you're leaned over killing it and you hit the first bump and then the inside of your thigh is loaded up on the saddle and you hit the second bump, the Crest rim is kind of, and the rear is kind of like, it just like it just moves and wiggles. And yeah. The Roval doesn't wiggle like that. The the next thing would probably be the arch rear because it's going to offer some of those good qualities. It has about the same stiffness factor as the Roval rear. The problem is it's the it's the the hope hubs are on those wheels. And they're just not nearly as nice. The the cool thing is the I9s have nearly instant engagement. They're really great. They totally make you into a well, snob. I was going to say the DT Swiss 240 with that ratchet, even though it doesn't have a lot of engagement, the way it engages is a clutch mechanism. It's very solid. Well, it but it doesn't thunk. It tightens up. Yes. Yeah. You know, so it's not like... Yeah. No, it, the it, like, so the ZTR, for example, I love Stan's products for the most part. I think they're all really good. And for the value, like, I just don't think you can beat them. But their hub, their 30 point, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but they're not the greatest thing in the world. They're a little clunky. So when it does engage, it's very solid and it feels solid, but it'll actually, you can hear it sometimes. Like the way I, the way I ride, I guess, if I'm not pedaling and then pedal a little bit Uh and I catch it just right, it's like, like it's a, you can feel that reverberation yeah, through the American, bike. Yeah, American Classics do that too. Yeah, but, well, the American Classics are spongy, which is even, they use even like worse. They five points of engagement. Oh, but, my God. But the, the, I know what you're the saying. The way the clutch mechanism, the ratchet mechanism works is it doesn't have a sudden on-off. It does have to tighten up, just like a clutch in a car. That's, you know, it, it's smoother feeling. So, you know, the i9 Crest Crest is going to be the best engagement, the most comfortable. The Roval is going to have really good feeling engagement you don't get that feedback that thunk in the foot feedback yeah and then the stiffness is great the arch wheels the arch rear with the crest front on the hope hubs are a little heavy and the engagement you can kind of feel it a little bit and then hope hubs still have pretty deep yeah they're still also there's an for people out there since we're talking about hope hubs hope hopes all of new uh the new hope cross-country hubs are well i guess you can use them for anything but they're 40 points now Instead of which is pretty cool, four. and it's a forty-point ring. It's not just extra pulse, so yes. it's going to be. I think it's going to be pretty solid. I haven't ridden any yet, but I'm looking forward to trying some out because it sounds pretty cool. If you're yeah. one of those people that's asking, like, what what can I get that's a little bit like, what hubs should I get that are not expensive, but they're still really good quality and that have a little bit of kind of like bling factor, you want colors or whatever, Hopes are a real good choice. I think that. they're going to be really cool. I think it was really smart that they went to um, a higher engagement. The only downside I see to the Hopes, they're pretty reasonably priced really for what they are, and you can get a million different end caps, which is really cool. 
Yeah. Uh, the one thing I don't like about them, they're a tiny bit on the heavy side. Still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, but yeah, there's they, a trade-off somewhere. And I, I use that term loosely. I mean, they're not rocks, but they're just, yeah, they're not the... I think that the best way to describe them is, I wouldn't call them heavy as much as I would call them bomb-proof. Oh, yeah. No, they're, they're, good. They're, they're worth what you pay for them. Well, right, but they're the... They're the lightest... Well, I guess I know stuff is really tough. I don't know. Anyway, I mean, the but, i9 stuff is awesome. But it's really expensive. Yeah, exactly. Like, the, the one downside to i9 is that it doesn't... <laughs> Timmy really is chilling the peak. Uh, um, but, okay, yeah, but, like, the one downside on. to i9 is that they do cost more, but the engagement is freaking amazing. We're straying from my wheel discussion here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, so, on the... So, you have your Crest Crest i9. You have your Roval 24 or 32 spoke. You have your 32-spoke crest front arch rear. The next up in stiffness was the 24-hole. I've never had I've never had... I'm sorry, we've got to break So I just want to point out, I've never had a fresh peep. I've always had stale peeps that are, like, kind of... They're kind of bad. These are, like, super... Like, they came out of the peep oven, like, last week. I only find peeps, like, a year later. And they've been, like, sitting so out. So if you go to No like maybe, Face Kenny, you can see a picture of Kenny sitting with a box of peeps. I have eaten a peep out of an Easter egg that was in the yard for a year. Are they soft and delicious? They're pretty good. Mine's gone. Anyways, the the Torch 24 hole is stiffer than Arch 32 hole rear. It's stiffer than a Roval wheel. And it was stiffness in a way that I didn't really enjoy. Um, it was it was getting it wasn't too stiff, but it was getting to the end of what I would call good stiffness. And then the the envy wheels, and I always go back and say, I, I don't know if I did this correctly, and I've, I've second-guessed this a good bit since the departure of those wheels from my possession, but I'm not 100% sure that selling those was the best idea because I think a lot of the problems I had at the time I blamed on the wheels rather than blaming on the fact that I was an out-of-shape piece of shit, but... I felt like the wheels beat me up really bad, but they definitely were stiff. I mean, they just hammered you. And yeah, and the difference between the Envy's and the Industry 9 Trail 24s... Um, well, let me... And yeah, to, to keep quantify, going about, uh, the, the Envy wheels were 240 hubs, so the hubs were great. The wheels felt great. I liked the way they rode. It was really cool, but they were really stiff. The flip side of that is I took them to Colorado, and I went to Breckenridge, and I rode the absolute dog piss out of them all over the place. I mean, I didn't do the race, but I did. I, I did a probably the equivalent of two and a half stages of the race, maybe something like that. Probably not. But I did a good <laughs> bit of the riding. I did the entire wheeler stage five, and I mean, I just I, I flogged them, and I never had to trim them. And I flogged them here in town, and I never had to trim them. I jumped them into shit. And, and that never was had to that trim. was my experience with the cross country thirty two holes. Was I I totally, I flogged mine, and there was a tiny little spot that needed to be trued, but I just never did it because I didn't want to take the tire and the tape and everything off because they're internal nipples, and it stayed exactly how it was. Like, it was one little untrue, it was like two millimeters out of true, and it stayed like that the entire time that I owned the wheels, no matter what I did to them. I want to start calling them innies and outies. Innies and outies? That's awesome. Envies are innies. Yeah, envies are innies. So, I mean, it's just, you know, 
what what is the takeaway from that? I don't know. Would I ride carbon wheels again? Yes. Will I? Of course. I mean, you know. But if you just take a step back and you look at an Envy, an Envy is one of but the deepest. That's what I was going to say. One of the, the deepest the, dish mountain wheels out there. And you think about it for a second, and you're like, huh. I'll bet you that thing doesn't flex a whole lot vertically. <laughs> well, it not doesn't. even that. Um, so I've had a lot of good discussion. Uh, if I think something that everyone should do before you get your panties in a wad or your chamois in a conundrum. and you, Because we have so many people send us emails. Um, before you email <laughs> By so many, we mean two. And that's Ben and, and one other person yeah. ever. And that's Ben saying, like, well, we won't cancel the show this week, so... I guess keep keep going. <laughs> but if if you don't get more than three listeners next week, we're probably going to can this shit because it's not worth my time. Uh, no, before you email me and tell me how bad and how stupid and how wrong we are, I need you to go to um, Ben did a show pretty recently with Brad from Knox Composite, and the show is uh, Inside MTBR. I think it's. Uh, it's pretty easy to find. It's going to be in the last ten episodes if you if you download the app, which you should. Um, I just did it for the first time the other day because I want to check it out, and it works really well. It's really easy to use. Everything's in reverse chronological order with the newest stuff being on top. So if you check it on like Tuesday morning, you'll always find our shit. You won't have to bother with any of the rest of it. <laughs> but you don't have to listen to any of the other shows unless we tell you to. But I, I listened to the Inside MGBR or Inside Mountain Bike Radio uh, with the Knox Composite guys, and Brad, he discussed a lot of great things. Holy cat. The cat just knocked down a bunch of goo energy drink mix because um, there's just a mountain of it piled up over there. Uh, we they discussed, they discussed the way that wheels work and the way that you get vertical compliance. And since then, we've emailed back and forth a good bit about asking questions of what happens when you lean your bike over to, for argument's sake, 15 degrees, and you load it up vertically. Well, then you're applying, when you're applying force to the wheel in a 100% vertical fashion, you're only getting, you know... Nine, ten. It's like animal catastrophe today. You're only getting like nine one hundred thousand. Holy hell, yeah! Kick his ass. <laughs> the cats are fighting, and I'm trying to discuss wheels. This is awful. So when you when you have the wheel perfectly vertical and you load it up, you're getting like nine one thousandths of an inch of flex. And they've done the testing. He's an engineer. I'm not going to argue with him about that. However. My question was, what happens when you take that wheel? And you've already admitted the fact that there's a couple of things that go into the ride quality of a wheel. First and foremost is going to be the type of tire and the pressure that you're running. Because obviously different tires, different casings, different volumes of tires are all going to greatly differentiate the way that a wheel feels on the trail. The second thing is going to be the width of the rim because the width of the rim is going to have a huge determination on the overall volume of the tire, which kind of goes back to, you know, Number one, which is how the wheel interacts with the ground. This, the third thing is going to be the stiffness of the rim hoop. Because the stiffness of the rim hoop is going to be the largest contributing factor of the overall stiffness of the hub spoke nipple rim system, excluding the tire. That's yeah, so a, a big misconception on that is that the number of spokes that you have or how tight you have your spokes or your lacing pattern 
affects the vertical compliance of the wheel, and that's not true. So, and that's what I was going to say, is he said that you can take a carbon rim, and you may increase the lateral stiffness of the wheel by 100% by going, comparing it with a comparable weight, you know, aluminum to carbon, comparable weight, you may see a 100% gain in stiffness. However, when you look at, like, spokes going from 28-hole to 32-hole, you may see something as small as 5% difference. So it's all the sum of those things, and I think that you need to be very careful when you're picking those. And if you listen to that show, he does a great job explaining it, but my question was, what happens when you take lateral flex or lack of stiffness, and then you lean the bike over? Well, suddenly you're turning lateral flex into vertical compliance, and his answer was, whoa, Sonny, you don't have an engineering degree. You're applying this, these non-normal forces across multiple vectors, and it's all going to be divided by those differing planes that are absorbing these forces. And I was like, boom, and the top of my head exploded. So the guy's obviously pretty smart. If you can listen to the podcast, you'll learn a lot of shit. If you have questions and you email him, he'll probably be nice enough to answer them. And here's the, the way I look at it is this. I love a, technolo- I love a, a tech explanation for why something is the way it is. I love to quantify things because I'm a nerd like that. However, that shouldn't substitute the fact that you need to just go out there and try something. Because wheels, everyone out there admits that wheels are like unbelievably complicated. There are so much crap that goes into a wheel because they're so dynamic. And that's what they're he was saying. Spinning like, and they like lean over and like there's, there's a so tire second, connected to it. fourth order of, what was it, forces or factors that go into it that you can't even you can't even figure it all out. It's a picture of someone we used to work with holding a bird by the throat. Uh, that's good. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah. It's all his dad today. <laughs> anyway, off topic. Um, we were talking about wheels and vertical implants. I want to go back to me just saying that hey, I think that to a degree we were right because now Envy was, it was manufacturers. Manufacturers are coming out of the woodwork now and going like, "Oh yeah, so now we make a carbon wheel, which used to be awesome, but now we're gonna make vertical compliance." And they actually use the word vertical compliance, compliance. which is what I used to say. And everyone's like, "You're an idiot." That's and here's stupid. the deal. And point whatever the way I look at it is point zero zero seven of an inch or whatever. Yeah, of course that's not a lot. There's another zero in there. Whatever. It's, uh, There's a tons of zeros and it's a tiny ass little oh, number. And zero. I don't really care what that number is. The fact of the matter is, when you do that number a hundred thousand times on a ride, I think you might be able to notice that. Yeah. But what they're saying no, if you listen to the podcast, they're saying that the vertical compliance of the wheels is is not different. But it is. Look at I mean, look at the video that Stan has. They show it. Like plain as day. They have an envy. Have you watched the video? I haven't. They have an envy rim. It says freaking envy on it. It is an envy wheel. And they do the vertical compliance test. And they have a damn caliper on the thing. And it's a little dial caliper. So do you and then they have their Stan's carbon one, which is designed to be flexier, and they show it. And it's like I don't remember what the numbers are. I'll probably misquote it, but it was something like at least five times the amount of, quote, vertical compliance on the stands wheel compared to the Envy wheel. Now, did they did they pony up and show what their Crest wheel or their Race Gold wheel is? No, they didn't. That's what I really want to know, and that's what I want to know is... I would like to know, too. It's probably unbelievably flexy. But do you have 
the Okay, so I want to think about it like this. Let's say an Envy wheel has one. Yeah. And a Sans wheel has five. A Sans Valor wheel has five. What if a Sans Crest wheel has 40? Yes. Then one to five is not going to fucking matter. I understand, but we don't know what they are. But, the fact of the matter is... But no, 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 no. My question is, are you smart enough to be able to build up something that can measure? I mean, I suppose so. We can. I mean, it can't be that difficult to do it. I mean, it's just... Okay, let's do it. Something, you don't, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to, you know, do 100,000 cycles on a wheel to test it in that fashion. We just need to do a one-time thing. You hang a weight in a certain way from a wheel in a fixed position, and you put a damn dial caliper on the thing, and you just look at it. Let's do it. So, I, I think, think you, I think I could lay my hands on an NV32 hole, an NV all-mountain 28 hole, a Roval 32 hole, a Crest. Here's the other problem with that. I like, again, I like... I like numbers. I think they're cool. But we're testing it in a stand. It's not spinning. It's not leaned over. They're, the fact of the matter is wheels are unbelievably complicated, so you need to ride them. The fact is that we rode these wheels. We said we thought they're more harsh. Everyone told us we're idiots. And then here come the manufacturers saying, oh, we're going to build a wheel that's less harsh feeling or has, quote, more vertical compliance. So Envy now, by the way, if you've looked at their site, they have their new M50 wheel which is their new replacement cross-country weight weenie race wheel, which is all well and good. And they say specifically, we changed up the layup and the and they also made it shorter. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing, because that's the thing. Absolutely. The Roval wheels are really short. They look like a crest rim. And exactly. they look a lot like a crest rim. And guess what? They're a little bit more comfy. Hey, there's yeah. something to this here. So all I'm saying is I think there's something to this. And I think that manufacturers think that there's something They've to all, this. They, they all listen to the show. Yeah, right. Well, they anyway, did. I just want to say that we pointed out something that we just noticed. And it wasn't a negative thing. And we got friggin' railed for it. And then uh, here you go. So. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> uh. Yeah. We're Memphis as fuck. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so pretty cool. Uh, and for what it's worth, the NVM50s look really cool. They look really nice. They're lighter than the old ones. They're hookless, too, aren't they're they? They're wider. I don't know if they're hookless or not. And they have more vertical compliance. So I say good on all fronts, except that they cost $2,700. Well, I mean. So, but, hey, I want to ride some. That's all I'm saying, because they're probably pretty darn cool. Yeah, that'd be really cool. But that leads into the next question, or the next topic, $2,700. What are you getting? This is this is Matt's rant. So this I is my rant I rant about this will be a big rant. This is this might be our biggest rant. Integrated show ever. headset bearings are my rant. Well, this um, is the rant show. We only have six minutes left in the night. So. You're gonna have to make about, this really. So you're gonna have to like dig deep and really concentrate this, to like get this, on topic. This is where I'm gonna go. Everyone else, put a peep in your mouth and shut up. Because we're gonna start talking about like yacht. Put a peep in your mouth. And, like the size of waves, like during moon phases. Put the peep in your mouth. So. I saw on Twitter. Drop the mic when you're done. I saw on Twitter that someone, uh, bike rumor, said someone came by the office today on a Yamaha, a 2014 Yamaha R6, and we showed them the. That's a motorcycle. Uh, a motorcycle, a uh, a street, a sport bike, right? Like a it a, is a sport bike that will probably do 180 miles an hour. Not quite that fast. It'll do. It'll it go is, fast enough to kill you in first gear. It is a very serious piece of equipment. And they. Pulled out the Santa Cruz Bronson 510 Tallboy Long Travel, what the fuck ever, Carbon, really expensive bike, and said, guess which one costs more? Number one 
thing that you need to do is you can't compare different industries of scale. Number, you just need to stop it. You look like a total idiot. And I'm sad that I dropped all my F-bombs in the show already. You look stupid when you're comparing motorsports to non-motorsports. That's the number one thing. The number two thing is you have to realize that even when you're comparing something from the motorsports world, like a like an R6, which you go down to the Yamaha dealership with good credit and you're buying an R6. You want to buy a, and I'm just going to say, a, I'm going to go with a, a, a very stock bike here. You want to buy a Cannondale Super 6 Evo Ultimate. You just go down to the fucking Cannondale dealer and you order it. It's no big deal. Here's the problem. If you get the Cannondale Super 6 Ultimate and then you also buy a power meter, you know what you do? You're riding the same bike that Peter Sagan or Ted King or anyone that's going to race in the Tour de France this year is riding. You, with the exception of, and I'm going to throw out a number, five parts, pedals, seats, tires, handlebars, you're probably riding exactly the same bike that someone in the Tour de France inarguably the most publicized, the most talked about, the most profitable cycling event in the world, you can, within five parts, go to your bike store and buy it. If you want to bring it back to the modern bike world, let's talk about someone like G. Atherton. You can take a video, like you can go to Pink Bike and you can watch the video of his run and you can take a screen grab of it and you can send it to your favorite mechanic and you can go to the bike shop and you can get within five or six parts of his bike. Again, we're talking about tires, pedals. He might have a power meter that you can't get or you didn't notice or you don't care about. He might have a bar that's a little wider than you can purchase from that distributor or that manufacturer. But you can get the shit that the professional World Cup level, top level, most profitable people in the world in that sport are riding. And you can do that for twelve to $14,000. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to take a wheelbarrow full of $100 bills, and I want you to wheel it into this. Let's just go ahead and say a truck. No, yeah, yeah. I've always said wheelbarrow before. You're going to take your 2014 Denali Suburban biggest SUV that GMC makes, right? The 2015 Denali with the 480 horsepower, and you're going to fill that motherfucker with $100 bills. Everyone that will fit in that truck with the exception of the space that it takes for your fat body to fit in. And you drive down to the Chevy dealership and you say, sell me Dale Jr.'s car. And if out there in the world Dale doesn't drive a Chevy, I don't care. You understand the point. You want to buy the car that they raced at Talladega last weekend. It ain't going to happen. You can't get anything off that car from Talladega. So the next time you come at me and you say, I can buy a car for $12,000. Well, you know what? I looked it up. I went to Ford, Chevy, Toyota, and Hyundai. And there's only one car that's $12,000, and that's a Chevy Aveo. So let me ask, what do you want? Do you want Steve Pete's downhill rig, G. Atherton's downhill rig? Do you want what Ted King is going to race in the 2015 Tour de France? Or do you want a fucking Aveo? <laughs> Dale Jr. does drive a Chevy, by the way. I looked it up. <laughs> you told me to get it out. I made the best 
five-minute rant of ever. It is, it is funny. I'm glad you bring it up because I have so many people come in and they say, you know, $5,000 for a bicycle. I don't understand that. You're going to have a car for that much. Well, yeah, you can buy a $5,000 like, yeah, car. Can, you can it may it. not be a bad car. Like, I mean, you could get what, like, you could get a nice still sold for that with like 20,000 miles on it. For how much? For $5,000, that'd be an expensive still sold. Or $5,000, you can get a, a used minivan. Or yeah. you can get all kinds of, but you can't. Okay. You can't get. And, and here's a different way to put it. For five, if you want to break it down even better, $5,000 will buy you a really thick carbon bike. Which, if you want to compare that to the motorsport world, that's like what? Like what you were saying is a Supermoto GT bike? Well, no, I'm saying like, basically, you know, in motorsports world, yeah, you want to talk about spending money. Because people want to compare it to motorsports. Okay, let's compare it to motorsports for a second. Um, go look at uh, go look at MotoGP if you're going to talk about two-wheeled devices. You know, A, go buy a MotoGP bike. You can't. Two, those things are ungodly amounts yeah, of money. Yeah, you just can't. Because they, if you want the best of the best, which is in the motorcycle world, in the road racing world, is a MotoGP bike. I mean, they cost. I don't know that there is a price tag because there's so much R&D and specialty. And I mean, it's just, it's and prototype and it's just totally insane. So it's just, it's a dumb example. If you're going to compare it, if you're going to compare your little motorcycle to the top end bike that costs $12,000 and you're going to say that $12,000 bicycle, I can buy a motorcycle for that. Be like, well, yeah, go ahead. You can go buy a motorcycle for 12,000. I don't care. Do that. And quit talking to me. But you're not getting the same level in that. No, you're not. One. You're not. You're not. So because a MotoGP bike, I'm just going to put a number on it. A MotoGP bike is going to cost hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars. If not a cool mill. Yes, because it's just it, it's it is the best of the best. What I mean, about cost of ownership. Let's talk about track <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, it, the point of this whole rant here is just that you know. For the for the uninitiated, yes, it's shocking that bicycles can cost that much money. But if you want the best of the best, which you can buy as just a human being, you can buy the best of the best. There are very few prototype parts that you cannot buy. Or if you cannot buy them today, they're just available in six months down the road. And you can just buy them off the shelf. So or they suck. Yeah, or they suck and they never put them into production. So anyway, it's just what I want to say. So yeah, whatever. Two-wheel motorsports, you're into moto? Awesome. And Let's also, talk dirt bikes for a second. You want to talk about... Top level supercross, and you want you want you you walk in with your wheelbarrow full of cash. You cannot buy the factory Honda Racing teams parts. Right, you you cannot uh, do that. You can't buy Travis Pastrana's Suzuki anything except for his replica jersey and boots. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you like that's the thing. Like if something is prototype in cycling, it's most of the time that version or something very similar to that is going to be available to you within a year. Yep. So, yeah, just, it's a dumb comparison. And we, and we looked about, we looked at other hobbies and stuff too. Well, let's talk about, I want to go, I mean, sure. We talked, just talk about other hobbies and let's just run through them really quick. RC cars, RC helicopters, compound bows, um, uh, yeah. yachts, sailing, yeah, um, hunting. Yeah, but what I want to go through real quick is let's take your, your supermoto. Yeah. You're going to say, Oh my God, you know, $10,000 for a rifle. Well, you can spend $10,000 on a rifle. No problem. Holy right. crap. And right. it was like, I can buy a car for that. It's like, well, or you could buy this rifle. So right. just like deal with it. Well, what I want to go back to though is the, the thing that I didn't touch on is the, and you brought this up because you have more experience in other expensive hobbies, but 
let's take RC copters. You take your $10,000 RC copter and you have one little mistake and suddenly you have $1,000 worth of salvageable parts at most and that's all in the controller that was in your hand. Or you take something like an RC car and you're ripping through like a racetrack with it and then suddenly it cartwheels off into the stands and all you have left is a good battery. Or you take something like RC cars which they fit, they're the size of a laptop and they magically go 70 miles an hour but you burn through gasoline engines and you burn through $20 worth of fuel and all these tires and parts and you break A-arms and you have a $200 weekend on your RC car, right? Like, just like that, no problem. Or um, Supermoto GP, it costs you $300 to get on the track for the day and then we figured it up and if you can spend less than a grand to ride your super, your, your, your sport bike on the track for a weekend, you're doing great. And let's go back to bicycles. Let's take that 2014 R6 and let's say there's, there's some gravel in a loose corner and you lay that thing down, you're probably talking about two grand in plastic that you just destroyed, right? Because I can guarantee you've got an inch and a half of chicken strips on either side of those tires because you just bought that R6 on credit from the <laughs> from the dealership and you don't know what the hell you're doing. And you lay it down in a corner with like one piece of gravel. And then, then now you got to buy $2,000 worth of plastics. But on your bike, you lay your bike down in the corner and you buy a $300 shifter, you buy a $25 set of bar tape, and you buy a $200 saddle. And $500 later, or four, $600 later, you're rolling again. I mean, the overall cost of ownership and the, you know, on, sure, sure, you can buy car tires for $70 a piece, or you can buy racing routes or Schwabie Lagunas or really high-end Maxxis tires or whatever it may be, but it, it it's the exception if you destroy an Icon EXO tire in one weekend. It's not an exception if you go to the track and you blow the tires off your bike in two weekends. That's yeah, you want to get really upset, go buy a VET or something with like a decently sized tire and go buy some R-Comp tires for it and tell me you're not going to go cry. And you're going to burn those up in like a couple weekends. I mean, you're talking about thousands of dollars worth of tires, so... Don't bitch when a bicycle tire costs eighty bucks and you get right, and you I'm, get six months of use out of it. I mean, come on. Like, when you really dig into it, you look at these hobbies that are fat ass. You're gonna spend what is that five figures when you get the best of the best easily. And the, the cool thing is, is cycling is relatively. Let's even talk about golf. You can go drop five grand on golf clubs, and the difference is by the time you do tee, like what is it, tee off fees or green fees, and you buy beer and you buy snacks and you buy all this shit, you get a cart. You spend $125 to play golf on the weekend. Like, when was the last time it cost you $125 to ride your bike, not race your bike? That's what I want to know. I mean, yeah, really, like just to participate. Like, I yeah. mean, yeah, if you go to Silmo, do you have to pay three dollars at the parking lot? Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm getting at. Is like, or if you want to go on a road ride. Like, all you do is you put your crap on and you go out your front door and you ride your bike. It doesn't cost you $75 or it doesn't cost you $30 to go hit balls in the driving range. You know, like, if you want to go do sprint intervals, it doesn't cost 30 bucks. You just go do it. It's not like you have to go somewhere and buy special balls and go to a special place and hit them a special direction. I mean, get over it. Cycling is probably the cheapest poor man's sport or rich man's sport that there is. As far as, like, time the amount of time that you can put in on a bicycle per year compared to the time that you'd put in doing other hobbies, it's pretty damn inexpensive. So I spend in the saddle per week, I spend between five and 10 hours generally. And when you really break it down, like that's, that's kind of a lot when you, for a whole year, right? That's a, that's like a lot of that hobby. And when I really spend per year on that hobby is fairly small. I mean, it's a, 
I spend if I if I have let's say I buy a new very nice bike, I buy a five or six thousand dollar bike, and I buy consumables and some gear and maybe a light, you know, just usual stuff you'd buy in a year. Um, I'd say I'd spend less than ten thousand dollars, like significantly less than ten thousand dollars. Let's include all race entry fees, all travel, all lodging. All right, so $10,000. $10,000. Like, $10, $10, yes. 52 weeks in a year. Let's say there's two weeks you don't ride at all. You're still only, what, well, I don't know the math on that. What is Regardless. It? $200 a week. Yes. All in, $200 a week. Yeah. Now, go do that with, like, any kind of motorsport. It's very difficult to do. Go that. Go do that with golf. It's difficult to do. If you're a member of a club and you bought a set of clubs and you bought, like, a shirt... <laughs> Boom, you're at $10,000. So the fact of the matter is that, and you are, I don't think that any human being that's normal is going to play 10 hours of golf a week. Like, that's a lot. And the health benefits aren't going to be there. That's a lot. Yeah, you're going to get, like, you're probably going to get a, a beer gut and you'll get cancer from <laughs> sitting out in the sun. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't mean to be, like, ragging on golf. Golf actually uh, can be pretty entertaining. But regardless... It's in the grand scheme of things per hour. It's like, it's like kind of cheap per hour. So, oh my God. Yeah. If you ran, if you ran an RC helicopter for 10 hours a week, (laughs) also, I mean, you would probably crash this thing like 37 times and go through so much consumable stuff. It would be unbelievable. But anyway, so stop bitching that mountain biking is expensive or road biking is expensive because really it's not. If you want that, you can have the best of the best and do it for an entire year and it's going to cost you $10,000. So, well, maybe more if you buy like a stupid bike, but well, the reality it, is it costs you $15,000 a year. You can probably cap out at about five to $7,000 on a bike purchase and you're getting really nice crap. Yeah. The $12,000 bikes are just silly. And yeah, go, go buy yourself uh, onto like a uh, 24 hour of Lamar team and let me know how much it costs you. <laughs> or buy a cell phone and capsize it and lose it. Yeah. See how that goes. So, anyway, hobby-wise, quit bitching. Unless you play, like, I guess the only thing cheaper would be if you sit at home and play solitaire for 10 hours a week. And that would cost you a deck of cards, I suppose. So. Man, I can't find that video of the guy telling his dog to get out of the water. Oh, it's called uh, um, Dog Won't Listen. It doesn't really matter. We don't need it. I can do it. I know. I can make that voice. No, I, I want to play it because it's great. And we're going to go ahead and end the show now because it's... Um, so, um, when Ben goes to name this show, he's going to call this the rantiest of rants. And it's going to be about how we hate everyone. I'm going to show y'all how this dog, he minds so good. I'm going to show you... But we hate everyone equally. That's the important thing here. In Mountain Bike Radio, it's sort of like Jesus, where Jesus loves everyone, except we're... Except for me. I think Jesus hates a lot of people, too. You know, I was... They I was, say he doesn't, but, it, you know... Just stop. Okay. Just stop. We're going to get people really angry at us. Just, in a minute. I was not meaning to cross that line. <laughs> where Jesus loves everyone, <laughs> the Mountain Bike Radio, just riding the long crew, hates everything equally... When we hate something, because we like something. Until you prove yourself worthy of unhate. All right. Come get that ball over here, dog. Come on. Let's get your dog. Let's get your ball and play with it. Don't go in that water. I ain't got no damn ball. Where is he gonna play it over here? There you go. That's what I want y'all to see how good he mind me. Come on, bring the ball back, boy. Come on, bring it on right. You see, he's working his way over this way. 